Hello, welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Mitch J., Jamie Soden, and David Joseph. And we were talking about the parallels between um, free will belief and religion and some of this stuff where, you know, people, they're believing that, like they have a free will of the gaps or the quantum indeterminacy of the gaps, similar to the God of the gaps, that sort of thing. And I remember Mitch was telling us about, he knows somebody who's um, some, some staunch atheist or whatever, but they're having a really hard time uh, uh, accepting the whole determinism concept. So, Mitch, what's that about? Yeah, why does that happen? That's weird. So, um, there are different ways to be an atheist, but when we talk about atheism, we usually are referring to uh, a conclusion based on a lack of evidence, an absence of belief. So, usually a person who is logical or reasonable is investigating the world logically and comes to a certain conclusion and rejects the supernatural. There's all kinds of different definitions, but as I said before, one who has an absence of belief in the supernatural and gods or one who thinks that there is insufficient evidence for God's existence. But what is free will? Free will is this idea that beyond all the things that the universe is made up of, in human beings especially, there is an extra part of us that somehow allows us, whatever that means, to make a choice that we are consciously aware of. So I think there, well, clearly, there are direct parallels to this and religious belief. If you are just a logical person that is that uh, observes the world, so, you know, you appreciate empiricism, you appreciate the scientific method, you appreciate logic and reason, how can you justify this inexplicable capability that you propose human beings have without any evidence when the entire world could be explained via determinism, right? Occam's razor. Yeah, because it makes so much sense that everything has a cause, you know? And this concept of choice, like Mitch said, people tend to apply it to humans but not so much other plants or, or animals, for example. Um, like one thing that I've always wondered is how come nobody complains, like, you know, for example, the Christians don't complain when a dog has sex outside of marriage. But if a human does it, well, then it's a sin. You know, why is it something, a sin, when a human does it, but not when another type of animal does it? It's because there's this belief that humans are different somehow, that they have this extra part of them that, that can choose um, free from prior causes. And that extra part of them has to be something ridiculous, magical, and supernatural, because if it isn't, then it falls prey to determine it. You know, it's like the, the ancient Greeks said this too. You know, it's like if you could choose, with what mechanism would you be doing the choosing? If you are a naturalist, if you are a realist, why are you subscribing to the notion that there is this extra part? If you reject the supernatural, isn't that exactly how you are describing what free will is? Because if, it's, if it is natural, then it is affected by cause and effect, by causality, just like everything else. Yeah, 
And what's interesting is I think it also needs to be more clearly defined, you know, what is supernatural anyway. Um, because it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of a strange thing. Um, take, for example, um, people like, you know, they talk about foods being all natural. And, well, here's what's funny about it is that the co find something that's not from nature and then you have something that's unnatural. <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. So that's that, that's the common rebuttal, right? It's, uh, the existence of the supernatural. It's been said before that if we could verify a supernatural thing, it would be natural. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if magic existed, we would know. We would try our best to analyze magic and try to figure it out. Try to figure out how to reproduce it. We would use the scientific method and analyze the hell out of it. Exactly. And we say it is natural. Every Are David and Jamie still there? Actually. Uh, yeah, I think we're still here. here. Okay. You, you guys are doing a good job. Yeah, yeah, we're just having so much fun here. But yeah, basically what Mitch was saying is if we understood magic and learned how to use it and reproduce it whenever we wanted, it wouldn't have ceased to be magic. It would cease to be a mystery. Right, yeah. I, I would like to see more people being a, a bit more skeptical of the, um, the claim of free will. That's what we don't seem to see, even in uh, places like the atheist um, communities and, and stuff like that. You'd think that they would be skeptical of pretty much everything, but yeah. quite often the free will seems to just fall between the gaps. Yeah, and another thing that's important to point out is that there's so many people who believe in true randomness, you know, indeterminism, and they try to say that some things happen for no reason at all. And, and that is a, basically it's an unfalsifiable claim. You know, there's no, but it's, it's untruifiable, if that's a word. There's no way to verify and prove that something didn't have a cause because science is all about proving what causes what through experimentation, repeatable results, same cause, same effect. Exactly. And the thing is, you know, many atheists, uh, when they're defending their stance, when they're arguing with uh, religious people, they appeal to uh, Occam's razor, right? The idea that if they are competing hypotheses, the one with the fewest assumptions is the one you should take. But they do. The, but some of but some of these same people uh, don't notice that they're not using the same kind of logic when it comes to the issue of free will. The entire universe can be described without free will. So why are we injecting free will into this uh, into this model? Uh, Chandler, what do you think about some people who? Uh, some of them are scientists, some are not scientists, who um, try to use quantum phenomena to justify why it's possible that human beings have free will. Well, the simple and straightforward explanation is that these quantum particles that are too small for us to see, that we don't even know are there, we can't be in control of. So we're still not in control of what the quantum particles are doing, and that's what we would, would be required to try to use those particles to justify free will. Yep, ab absolutely. F furthermore, uh, the argument against free will is not something that, you know, it's an a priori uh, argument. It doesn't require physical evidence, right? So, like, we use anecdotal, so we, you know, we, we're trying to spread this message. So we use anecdotal evidence to help people understand the argument, to help people overcome their biases. The root of the argument is a logical one. It does not require evidence. You know, my background, uh, as some of you might know, is in mathematics. 
in mathematics, physical evidence is uh, almost useless. The only thing physical evidence does is help you discover the pattern. But if you don't prove your arguments, uh, it doesn't really matter. And if a lot of times in, in math, you can see a pattern, and for the first 100 numbers, 1,000 numbers, it seems like something is true. But then the next thing comes up, and it destroys the whole argument. So physical evidence is useless for math and logic. When, when we are saying free will is incoherent and nonsensical, it doesn't matter what discovery happens in the universe. As you pointed out, it still doesn't give room for this concept of control. Yeah, and what's, what's very interesting is the, yeah, the whole concept of control is a very bizarre thing because what, with what do you control something? That yeah, what's the basis upon that choice? You know, like Sam Harris said, you know, what would influence these influences? More influences? Exactly. You know, <laughs> it, it, it's very it's very funny when you when you look at it from this point of view, um, and and think about when you think about logic. Logic is kind of a weird thing because I know this guy who tries to claim that logic is supernatural. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he claims that it's not physical, it's immaterial, or, or something like that, and so it's not subject to the laws of physics, therefore it's outside of space, time, and causality, and so determinism is false. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it ironic that he's trying to use logic to defend his arguments against logic? Exactly, Mitch, exactly. <laughs> And scientists like Michio Kaku, they try to, you know, use quantum indeterminacy to defend free will, and he doesn't explain how we can control, um, you know, the chemicals in our brains and stuff. And he seems to forget every decision we've ever made in our life has been based on some prior experience, like, um, you know, food that you've tasted or uh, languages that you speak and all this stuff. It's all, it's all learned. How would you know what food you liked if you never tasted it before? Exactly. And, you know, a funny thing is, I mean, we all uh, are determinists, right? But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is, even if, even if I conceded that, okay, I'm not exactly sure whether the universe is deterministic or not, mm -hmm. how could we, in what universe could free will make sense? You know, people, so some people go, okay, well... What about randomness? What about a causality? What if we have a universe like this, like this, like this, like this? Doesn't matter. No matter what kind of universe you can imagine, no matter what universe you come up with, you still can't give meaning to the word control. Like, so I, I think I've used this example before, but suppose someone were to ask you, uh, what color is the number two? <laughs> right? That it's it's incoherent. It doesn't really matter what attempts you make, what what lengths you go to. You can't make sense out of that because it's not a sensible thing. Even if things could happen without a cause, whatever that means, that does not give room for control. Mm. Right. Because here's the deal. Control, what's interesting, for example, I, I think control is kind of a meaningless concept. Except, but here's what I think people mean when they talk about control. What a lot of people are really meaning is they feel that they're in control if they're doing what they want. So in other words, all that is is it's an argument for compatibilist free will. 
the notion that you're doing what you want and it's you doing it, um, that sort of idea. So that's the notion of control that people have. But the reason that I find it meaningless ultimately is what is controlling you and making you control the events in the way you do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, going back to the original topic, and now we've gone full circle, right? This is good. Okay. So. Yeah. I- Compatibilists are like moderately religious people that are clinging on to the best parts of their faith. You know, it's like they're using all their intellectual efforts to try to salvage something. And I don't even know if they know why. Maybe it's because they're afraid of the consequences. They, they're afraid of how the universe, of, of what effect it would have on society if people honestly investigated this issue and came to the conclusion that, yeah, determinism is true, free will is false. Yeah, they have this fear, and we've talked about this on many of our episodes, about this fear. Like, you know, just like there there are people who say, well, if everybody quit believing in God, then they would all go around murdering and raping each other or something like that, which I don't see any reason to think so. And then they say the same about free will. They say if people quit believing in free will... Well then, every then all chaos would break loose and everybody would kill everybody and and I'm like, well, wait, wait, just a minute. Aren't people doing plenty of damage and killing and all sorts of violence um, and claiming that they're doing it of their own free will? <laughs> yeah. Also, even if that were true, which it is absurd, it would require a lot of evidence to indicate that. Even if that were true, that has no standing on the logical arguments that we're debating. The, you can't use the consequence. You can't use your fear of the consequences to influence you, uh, to give you a bias and prevent you from coming to the logical conclusion. And this is what I think Daniel Dennett is really, really guilty of. He wants to salvage some kind of free will, even though he's admitted he, he's basically saying free will doesn't exist, but it does. Yeah, that's it's kind of a strange thing. Um, I I, t- I tend to think that yeah, people like Dennett, they're just trying. Yeah, they're kind of like what you said, moderately religious people. They're basically trying to redefine things so that they can believe them, and trying to believe enough to still qualify under the mainstream somehow. You know, I mean, for example, what I think. Like, for example, I tend to think that people want to agree with the majority on, on, on any issue. Like, let's say that there's a political issue um, that pe- people are fighting over about, whether it's about gun control or immigration or some foreign policy or the military or gay marriage or abortion or just whatever the issue may be. Like most people, they don't want to be that in that one percent category that has a different opinion from everybody else, you know. And you know what I'm saying? Like it's easier to say, "Oh yeah, I agree. With, I agree with the majority on this," so that they will like me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this peer pressure, conformity, things like that. Certainly, I, I think uh, most people want to be relatable to everyone else it's not, not that they not that they don't want to be exceptional but they definitely want to at least be like everyone. so take that i mean that's what courage is about right i mean courage is about uh saying what you believe is true even if the consequence or doing what you think is the right thing to do 
even if the consequences are incredibly negative. And most people are not courageous, which is why the word exists. Well, yeah. Courageous, right. And I think, Mitch, you mentioned um, that you were more like morally like a deontologist or something like that. I am a deontologist, yeah. Yeah, like is an action itself right or wrong? Something like that. Yeah, that is certainly the side I... I mean, that's probably a discussion for another day, but... Uh, right, and I'm... <laughs> Yeah, that's probably more of an impersonal opinion topic right there. But I just, but I, I think there's an important point to be made there. The idea of considering is this action good or bad? Is it right or wrong? Or is this certain belief true or false? And considering that independently from the consequences, I think there's certainly a place to consider the virtue of truth as opposed to what makes you popular. Yes. Okay. I see where you're going. Yeah. So okay. that's so that's why I brought that up. I'm just tying it into this idea that, first of all, I don't think that there are negative consequences of people realizing that determinism is true. But even if there were, I think truth is so important. Truth is such a virtue in my mind that it's worth it anyway. Yeah. Nick Vale rose this point with uh, George Ortega as well. He said it's better to live in a truth than to live a lie. Yeah. yeah. Because it, the truth is, you know, it, it seems like it's just the satisfaction of knowing the truth is mm -hmm. better than working under a false premise. Because if you're working under the premise of free will, it will, you will be so confused. Aside from the fact that there are negative consequences from free will, which we know to be true. We know that when people are blaming people things they they at least to this hatred it can lead to violence and it can lead to killing so what's interesting is we have a case where not only is free will false but it does have the negative consequences unlike determinism good point so one thing about that if i could touch on this topic of truth right so some people have this um they defend this uh, Orwellian idea that uh, ignorance is bliss. And it's true that the more things you know, the more problems you will have to overcome, right? If you don't know all these, if you don't know all the problems, you can't overcome the problems. But we can turn that same logic around. What about the flip side of the coin? In other words, one, the utilitarian um, argument for truth is this. If there is a comet that is about to hit the Earth, and we are not honestly acknowledging that there's a comet about to hit the Earth, and we don't do anything about it, we will be hit. So actually, comet is the wrong word. I should say meteor, <laughs> not comet. But anyway, the, the point is, the point is that um, we need to honestly analyze the problems that face us, and we need to honestly develop solutions. You can't solve your problems if you don't honestly evaluate your problems, and you can't come up with effective solutions if you're not honest when you're creating the solutions. So honesty is important in order for human beings to overcome the problems that are, especially the big problems, but in any problem, in any challenge that we face. Yeah, and you know, Mitch, I agree with you because if you, if you, know, if you know the truth about something, you may or you may not have the power to do something about it. 
But one thing is true is that if you don't acknowledge the problem, if you don't, if you're not even aware that there is a problem, then for sure you can't do anything about it. So which is the safer side, the truth or just just living in fantasy where you don't know anything? Yes, clearly the truth. If we have any value for the human race. Exactly. So, yes. so I believe that uh, a consequentialist or utilitarian type of, of statement can be made about the truth. You know, it's, it's not just the truth is good, but that the truth does help us. Yeah. Utilitarian, I would say, not consequentialist, but that's a different thing. Yeah, and I, I get those two mixed up all the time, man. Sometimes we're going to have to talk about that. Yeah, a lot of this uh, free will stuff, it's an appeal to emotion because uh, some people would say, well, without the assumption of free will, where does that leave the criminal justice system? Um, would you like to uh, answer that, Mitch? Um, do we have time well, for this? We, yeah, need... well, let's see. We were, we're, we're almost at 22 minutes, so sure, we've still got some time to talk a little bit about that. Okay, well, I, I mean, this might have come up in uh, uh, conversations, uh, in previous conversations. I'm not sure if you guys have dedicated. Yeah, we, uh, we've talked about it a little okay. bit, but it's always good for review. <laughs> okay, well, okay, so the short, you know, uh, the short answer is this. Uh, if someone is doing something, let's say a very violent activity, like shooting someone, whether or not free will is true, that is a problem. The problem is this person is going around shooting people, endangering people in society, making people feel unhappy, unsafe, unproductive, and is a risk to society. So the first step is you remove that person from society. Now here is where things uh, d diverge now. If you are um, an advocate for free will, you might blame that person and do horrible things to that person. If you uh, recognize that free will is an illusion, incoherent, whatever, you try to help that person. That's the only difference. The only difference is that when you recognize free will is nonsense, you help people. You don't hurt people. You try to reform them. You don't necessarily put them behind metal bars and make them wear the same outfit every day and repress their sexuality and give them bad food and don't let them watch TV. I mean, what, how does this help? How does it help to hurt people? It doesn't. It helps to help people. So some people, you know, are, uh, are fearful. The Supreme Court, in fact, has said um, in the past, that free will is necessary for our legal system. For Well, I can't speak in the UK. I mean, the US, of course. It's necessary for the US legal system, the justice system, when really what they're talking about is voluntary action or freedom of action. You know, there's, there's a, the idea that uh, once, you, once you think you want to do something, you do the thing that you wanted to do and you're satisfied in the fact you did it. That doesn't mean you could control yourself. Like, so you wanted to get chocolate ice cream, you got chocolate ice cream, and you feel you are the person who wanted and obtained the chocolate ice cream. Right? So that's like a freedom of action thing. That's a voluntary action. But that doesn't mean you had control over that original urge to get the chocolate ice cream or that you had any control in the mechanistic processes 
that allowed you to physically get the chocolate ice cream. And <laughs> I love it when you're talking about this chocolate ice cream thing. <laughs> this is funny. I like chocolate. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell Mitch. I can tell Mitch likes chocolate. The way he's talking about this with such enthusiasm. But, <laughs> but how do you feel about pizza? Well, yeah, and yeah, Mitch, we had another guest on this um, named Ronnie who he, she thinks that she can choose to not like pizza, but we know better. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the difference between the concept of free will and freedom of action is, I think, a very real distinction because I, I've seen it mentioned before that compatibilism really amounts more to a freedom of action, not free will. They're calling it free will, but it's really more like freedom to act on what you want to do, which, right. which is what we all want. That's the only kind of, of freedom worth wanting. And I disagree with Denny because it's not the kind of free will worth wanting because your will's not free. It's just about whether you're free to act on what you already will. You just can't change your will because if you could will yourself into willing something else, then I guess you would have some sort of free will, but then what would cause you to will yourself to will something? I, I agree. I mean, I mean, I might, I might be about to use some very harsh language, but um, uh, I think compatibilism is dishonest. I don't think it is, it makes any sense whatsoever. <laughs> it's like, I, I, I don't really see it as a, like, like you know, back to the topic, right, at hand. Yeah. I see it like a belief system. It's like a religious belief. It is not, I, I don't think there is any merit or logic to it whatsoever. And I think it only takes a few moments to realize, even if you haven't really made up your mind about free will. I don't, I don't think, I think you could still be trying to uh, investigate the issue of free will. Maybe you haven't come to a conclusion yet. And you should still be able to see why compatibilism is just a word soup. It yeah. Is, uh, it makes I, no sense. I, I highly agree, Mitch, because the problem with compatibilism is that it basically allows anything that is doing anything to have free will. You know, so you could, for example, you ever have one of those times where something goes wrong in your toilet and then it flushes of its own free will? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Where, yeah. some, where it does, the flapper doesn't like go all the way down and then nobody is pushing it to flushing it, but the toilet won't stop flushing and you're trying to get it to stop. So some compatibilists would say that your toilet has a free will because the toilet is doing it and you're not holding a gun to its head. Yeah, see, this is just an, this is just an obsession with wanting to keep the notion of free will, trying desperately. You know, it's, it's funny you should say it because I was talking to uh, – my younger brother and some friends of mine about uh, what you said, right? We, we don't, uh, Nietzsche, the German philosopher, sometimes called Nietzsche in America for some reason. I don't know why people pronounce his name that way. But anyway, um, you know, he pointed this, that human beings were always trying to add agency to action. You know, like if we talk about lightning, we don't talk about what compels lightning to do what it does. Or when we talk about strength, we don't say there's the will of strength. We understand that strength is supposed to be this word, right? That is just used to describe a myriad of factors that relate to what an object or a person is capable of doing physically. But when it comes to the actions of human beings, for some reason, that is the one situation where we think it's necessary to create some extra thing so we can 
assign blame and responsibility to people. That's a very good point, Mitch, because we like, you know, we don't blame the lightning for striking where it does. We don't we don't blame the fire for burning a building. You know, we don't do that. But why is it that all of a sudden when it comes to human beings that people assign this agency and this responsibility and this choice? But but here's what's really confusing about it. I understand that humans um, are different and that they're conscious and that they do have intentions and desires, but you know what? So do the other animals, but I don't see people blaming those other animals the same way that they're blaming the humans. So there's like a double standard there that we need to get down to, and what's what's wrong there? Yeah, indeed. I mean, I, I think people have varying opinions when it comes to animals about whether or not they have free will. This is such a ridiculous idea. <laughs> anyway, but... Yeah, I think uh, free will advocates, uh, even amongst that group, there are differing opinions about whether or not animals have free will. Yeah, and, and I and of course our answer to that would be pretty much, of course they don't, because it's an incoherent concept. But they could have freedom of action to do what they in fact want to do. You know, so yeah, your do- your your dog might want to. Um, you know, dig under the fence and go out and explore the neighborhood or something, you know, like that. And it wants to do it and it does it. But does that mean it had a free will or it just willed it to do something and it did it and then was satisfied that it did so? <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. We just passed 30 minutes on this. So I probably should end this episode. But guys, this has been great. We've covered so many topics. <laughs> so, okay. Um, You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion with Chandler Klebs, Mitch J., Jamie Soden, and David Joseph. And we, we've talked about responsibility and blame and religious belief and, diff- and compatibilism and all sorts of amazing things. But the most important thing to remember is that free will is down the toilet. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>